I tell you, you know, we're going to start taking out these front pews so you guys are forced to sit in the front pews, I tell you. So you guys give me a complex. Maybe I'm stinker. I don't know. I have to work on that. We, uh, I want to give props to two things before we get going in the message. One is VBS. Uh, first of all, I want to thank all the volunteers, all the volunteers who made VBS possible. Can you join me in thanking them this morning? Thank you so much. Man. We had a great time. We had four days together, and I had the privilege of three of those days and in, in being with the kids and leading them in some goofy songs and, and uh, helping them understand the, the good news of Jesus Christ. And uh, man, we had a great crowd, um, fantastic opportunities. So Krista and everybody who was a part of that, thank you so much. Um, and also, yesterday, our um, high school students, or some of our high school students, went on their missions trip along with Michael, our interim uh, youth director. And so they're actually finishing their travels there today to Kentucky and the Appalachia there. They're going to uh, be doing some VBS as well as some serving opportunities. And so we need to remember to be praying for them, praying for safety, provision, praying that God would use them in profound ways. But then what, what was certainly the case for me growing up and going on missions trips myself through high school, uh, it had such a profound effect on me personally. And we certainly pray for these high school students that God would reveal himself in powerful ways. Amen? All right. A mother ran into her bedroom when her, she heard her seven-year-old son scream. And she found his two-year-old sister pulling his hair. And she gently released the little girl's grip and said comfortably to the boy, there, there. She didn't mean it. She doesn't know that that hurts. The little boy nodded his acknowledgement to his mother, and she left the room. And as the mother started down the hall, the little girl screamed, Rushing back in, the mother asked, what happened? And the little boy looked up at his mom and said, she knows now. <laughs> that story is certainly funny. But everyone here, everyone here is all too aware of how much pain can and does hurt. Agreed? Someone is quoted as saying, there are wounds that never show on the body that are deeper and more hurtful than anything that bleeds. And with the presence of uh, pain, the presence of pain comes the difficulty of giving and receiving forgiveness. However, the, the only control that the Bible talks about, we've, I've mentioned this before, the only control that the Bible speaks of is what? Self-control. It's the only control that the Bible speaks of. And so beyond control, all we can do is inspire and encourage others around us. We can't control what people do, but we are capable of and we're very good at inflicting pain on others. Yeah? That's not something that we would admit to. That's not something we would put on our resume. 
But everyone here is really good at inflicting pain on other people. But when it comes to forgiveness, what can often be very difficult is we cannot force anyone to forgive us. We cannot force anyone to give us forgiveness. We can only control giving forgiveness to others. That's the only thing we can control. So are we on the same page so far? And so that's what we're going to address today. We're going to address this nature of forgiveness. How it is that we can and should forgive others. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the nature of disappointment and what God has to say about that. And last week, we looked at isolation and loneliness and community and the need for people to walk with us and the need for us to be willing to allow people to walk with us. And today, we're talking about forgiveness. And the fuel that is propelling all of this is our Stephen ministry. Last week, we had the privilege of commissioning eight Stephen ministers after they had gone through 50 hours of rigorous training to come out on the other side and to be ready to walk with other people, to walk with them in their journey of trying to get through the grief or the pain or the hurt, the isolation, the loneliness. Uh, maybe some are, are dying. Maybe some are, are, are grief-stricken because someone has died. Maybe there's an addiction. And these Stephen ministers are ready to walk with others. And if you are interested in receiving care from one of these amazing eight Stephen ministers that we have here at North Haven, it's really, really simple to connect with them. All you need to do is go to our website, and you click on Caring Ministry, and you'll see a button right away that says Contact if you are interested in receiving care. It's a confidential email that goes to our Stephen leaders, two individuals that will respond to you uh, in, in no time. But we cannot control or force anyone to forgive us. We can only control giving forgiveness to others. And Paul knew this. The Apostle Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, he knew this, and he references this. He points it out in Ephesians chapter 4. So I invite you, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians 4. It's in the New Testament. One of the letters to the, that Paul wrote specifically to the church in Ephesus will certainly be on the screen, your Bible app. Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to be looking specifically at verses 31 through 32. So starting in verse 31, Paul says this. He says, get rid, get rid of all bitterness rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. So we're going to work through these verses for a little while this morning, okay? We're going to dive into what Paul is saying because there's a lot that's jam-packed into these two verses. So again, Paul points to six things that inhibit our ability to forgive others. Again, in verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, 
rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with any form of malice. He lays out these six things, these six things that we are to get rid of. It's really five things, but we're going to get into that here in just a little bit. So again, again, to get this into our brains, they are bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, and malice. And these six things are the fuel that keeps our inability to forgive burning. These six things are the fuel that keeps our inability to forgive burning. And so we need to take a deep dive, and we need to figure out precisely what these six things are. So the first, the first thing that Paul points out, or Paul says that we are to get rid of, is the word bitterness. Bitterness. Now with each of these words, we're going to have automatic conclusions as to what they mean because we bring our own context and definitions into these words. And what can be often difficult when it comes to interpreting Scripture, interpreting the Word of God, and we've talked about this at great length, is that we bring those preconceived notions and definitions into our interpretation, and that's not always what the author means. And so the New Testament was written in what language? Greek, right? And it wasn't the Greek that, we, that they use today, right? It was an ancient Greek that no longer exists. And this ancient Greek had specific meaning to specific words, just like our English language does. And so we have to consider that as we look at what Paul is referring to. What is Paul really telling us to get rid of? So the Greek word for bitterness is the word pikria. Pikria. Now I'll tell you what the word is, but I cannot guarantee that I'm pronouncing these correctly, all right? So don't hold me to it, but it's pikria. That's what I'm sticking with this morning. To help us understand this better, we need to, uh, uh, let's consider, uh, for instance, how Aristotle defines pikria, bitterness. Aristotle, uh, you know, obviously, he was a Greek, and he was from ancient times, so he spoke and wrote this language, and he defines pikria, this bitterness, as the resentful spirit, the resentful spirit which refuses reconciliation, the resentful spirit that refuses reconciliation. So bitterness here, what Paul's saying is that this is an intentional resentment. It's an intentional and willful resentment towards another person. And then the intentional, willful refusal to reconcile. You understand that? Bitterness being the intentional and willful resentment of another person and the intentional, willful refusal to reconcile. The second thing that Paul tells us to get rid of is rage. Again, this is a word that when we hear that word, we imagine these things and we bring definitions into it. But let's, let's consider what Paul's really saying here when he says rage. The word, the Greek word that he uses is the Greek word thymos, thymos. 
Now, a distinction between rage and anger is, in, is important here. One, because they are two different things, and, and two, because Paul is referring to two different things, and so those distinctions are important. So, so the distinction between rage and anger here is this. We can describe rage as an action, okay? Rage is an action, often physical, but also can be verbal, that is in retaliation to being hurt or wronged by someone. It, it, is, a, it is a reaction, it is an overt reaction, physical or verbal, that comes from being hurt or wronged by someone. So this then brings us to this natural third thing that Paul tells us to get rid of, anger. And this distinction, again, is important so the word, the word anger here that Paul uses is the Greek word orge. And the anger that Paul here is referring to is, is different from rage in that the anger is something that springs from personal animosity. It springs from personal animosity. How, how would we define animosity? Animosity is a strong feeling of hatred towards another person. Now, this kind of anger goes completely uh, different. It is the antithesis to what Jesus taught us, this kind of anger. But, but let's not make any mistake here. Anger, in and of itself, is not sin. In, in James, James says, uh, be quick to listen, uh, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. If anger in and of itself is a sin, then Jesus would have been sinful because Jesus got angry. So the kind of anger that we're talking about is important. And so what makes this anger distinctive? What makes this anger distinctive? This anger, orge, that Paul is referring to here is, is, is very different from from what Jesus would, would experience when he became angry because this is a strong feeling of hatred, a strong feeling of hatred that is in its essence sin. In Matthew 5.22, as Jesus is preaching his Sermon on the Mount, he says this, he says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry, and this is the same word, the same word, the same type of anger, the strong feeling of animosity, of hatred towards another person that Paul is using, this word orge, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. See, feelings of hatredness towards another person are the antithesis the antithesis to Christ's commandment to love God and love others. So this brings us to the fourth thing that Paul tells us to get rid of. Again, if we look at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. And so the fourth thing that Paul tells us to get rid of is brawling. I guarantee there are thoughts that come to your mind when you see the word brawling, right? We're not talking about bar fights. We're not talking about fisticuffs in an alleyway. 
right? We're talking about something completely different. The word here that Paul uses, the Greek word, again, what, what the New Testament in the Bible was written in, why it's important for us to consider these words, is the word krage. Paul here is not referring to physical altercations when he says brawling. Instead, Paul points to an attitude, an attitude that, that one would possess who is bent on making a great spectacle of how they've been wronged. It's an attitude that you might possess if someone hurts you or wrongs you in some way, and your response then is taking this grievance public, making a public spectacle about this. It's a personal soapbox of mine, but what is one platform that we do this all the time in? Facebook. Someone wrongs us, someone offends us, someone hurts us, and we make a public spectacle of it, don't we? Instead, in Matthew 18, 15, that's a dad's bottle root beer right there. <laughs> I knew it was bound to happen. I tell you. I tell you, what kind of church is this? You got glass bottles rolling down the aisles. I love it. All right. Matthew 18, verse 15. What does Jesus tell us to do when someone has a, when we have a grievance against someone? What does Jesus tell us to do in, in Matthew 18, verse 15? Someone, someone tell me. Take it to that person, right? Go to that person. And so brawling is the antithesis of that. It is, it is instead being hurt or wronged by someone and then not going to that person but taking it public, making a public spectacle of it. And this then brings us, it connects rather with the fifth thing that Paul tells us to get rid of, and that's slander. Now this, this might be a little bit more in tune with what, how you would define slander because the Greek word that's used here that, that Paul uses is the word blasphemia. And so this is taking brawling, this is taking this, this uh, reaction of, of being wronged and then making a public spectacle of it instead of going to that person. This is taking brawling to the next level since it's the act of abusively speaking of one who's harmed you or done you, done you wrong. It's knowingly bringing true or false charges and representations which defame another person's reputation. The last thing that Paul tells us to get rid of, it's really kind of a catch-all. Basically, when he says malice, he's saying, and everything else, every other evil act, every other uh, inappropriate response, every other uh, inappropriate attitude, get rid of that. Evil, wickedness, depravity, that comes from you in response to the hurt you've received from another. So really five things. Bitterness. Rage. Anger. Brawling. And slander. 
These six things, these five things that we are to get rid of, Paul says. But can we really just do that? Can you really just get rid of those things? You know, for us, for us dads, right? let's just speak dad to dad for a second. I mean, even if you don't have little kids, you know what it's like to try to tell your kid not to do something. You can't just tell your kid not to do something, right? You have to, you have to redirect them, right? You have to give them something else to do that is appropriate or good, that's helpful rather than hurtful. That's the case for this, too. We can't just get rid of these things. That's not what Paul is saying. Instead, he's saying that we need to push these things out with things that are richer and deeper. The only way to get rid of these things is to then replace them with something else and thus pushing those things out of our lives. So in response to these things that Paul says that we are to get rid of, these obstacles to forgiveness, he lays out two things that then lead us to forgive others. Two things. Kindness and compassion. Now, we're all familiar with the word kindness. I mean, we're all familiar with the word compassion as well. But these, these two words, these two things, kindness and compassion, they have a very symbiotic relationship with one another. Kindness comes, uh, it is described as the disposition, an attitude, a makeup, which thinks as much of another person's affairs as your own. Kindness is a disposition that cares as much about others as you do yourself. That's kindness personified. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, another letter that Paul wrote, he touches base on this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility... Value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you should look out for the interests of others. So that's kindness, this disposition where you care as much about others as you do yourself. Compassion, then, is kindness at work. Compassion is quite literally the actions that come from a disposition of kindness. And then those acts of compassion that come from a disposition of kindness, they reveal a heart that is full of sympathy and love. This is where Paul arrives then at his summation of that which we need to get rid of. Not only get rid of, but replace with. Get rid of bitterness. Get rid of rage and anger and brawling and slander. Get rid of those things. Replace them instead with kindness and compassion so that you're able to forgive others. But forgiveness is hard. I would not do this time justice if I just gave you what I gave right there and then said, 
the end and got off the stage because forgiveness is hard. Amen? (laughs) It's hard. It's not an easy task to forgive others. Dr. Larry Petten, he paints this picture. Quote, forgiveness is not easy. It is the most difficult thing you will ever do to forgive someone who has stolen from you, lied about, hurt you, or broken a vow to you. Forgiveness is not natural. The normal human sinful response is revenge. The flesh always wants to get even. Forgiveness is not denial. You can't just put hurtful things under a rug. Someone hurt you. Someone wronged you. How will you deal with that? Forgiveness is not a one-time event. Forgiveness is an active verb. You have to get up daily and die to the anger in your heart. It doesn't normally happen overnight. Forgiveness is not approval. Just because you forgive someone, that does not erase the wrong they have committed. And he concludes then by saying forgiveness does not necessarily resume a relationship. Good relationships are built on trust. If someone has hurt you and broken that trust, you can forgive them, but you may not necessarily be able to resume the relationship, unquote. Forgiveness is hard. But even though forgiveness is hard, it is not unknown to God, the difficulty of that. That's why Paul makes this pivotal statement. He concludes in in verse 32, we read this earlier, forgive each other just as in Christ God forgave you. We're only able to forgive others because God has forgiven us through Jesus. See, God's forgiveness is the supreme example and motive, the the supreme example and motive for our forgiveness. Thus, the ability to forgive others, it comes from the gratitude of the forgiveness that you and I have received. That's why Paul used the term just as. Just as. In that our forgiveness of others should be as free. Our forgiveness to others should be as complete as the forgiveness we've received from God. It is God who puts our sin as far as the east is from the west. That is the measurement. That is the just as that Paul's referring to as we consider forgiving others. Consider how Paul starts chapter 5 of Ephesians right after this. Right after verse 32 of chapter 4, he goes right into chapter 5, verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore. Whenever you see a therefore, what do you always look at? What came before? We just looked at that. 
Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. When Paul uses the word example here, when he says that we are to walk in the way of love, follow God's example, he's using the Greek word memetai, memetai. And the definition here of this word, memetai, is to become, is to become. This means that forgiving others requires that we, as Paul writes, walk in the way of love and then live lives of sacrifice. To forgive others is to sacrifice our expectation. It is to sacrifice our expectation and instead give love without anything in return. To forgive others is to become like Jesus. The last thing I want to do is lead you through a critical parallel. Jesus is instructing his followers in Matthew, specifically Matthew chapter 6, the Sermon sermon on the Mount, and in this message, in his message, he shares with them and his followers what has been become to be known as the Lord's Prayer. Many of you, some of you know this by heart, but let's look at it together. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13, Jesus says, this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts or you may have seen trespasses, our sins, as we also have forgiven our debtors, as we also have forgiven those who have trespassed against us, as we have also forgiven those who have sinned against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. So did you, did you catch it? Did you catch what, catch what Jesus is saying here? Let's hone in a little closer. Verse 12, forgive us our debts, our trespasses, as we also have forgiven our debtors or those who have trespassed against us. Let's zoom in a little closer. As we also have forgiven. In case it's not clear at this point, uh, Jesus makes it clear in the following verses. In verse 14, he says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay. In the Lord's Prayer that we just went over, Jesus is instructing us how to pray And he's instructing us to pray for forgiveness because we have already forgiven others. Thus, the forgiveness of others, us forgiving others, is implied. 
Now, I want to be very clear here. This is not to suggest that God's forgiveness is contingent on whether we forgive, because that's not what Jesus is saying. The reason we know this is because the tense that's used here in Matthew refers to the present. This would indicate that the Lord's prayer that we went over, that it should be read something like this. As forgive us our debts as we are also forgiving our debtors. So what is Jesus implying in verses 14 and 15 here? The implication is not that forgiveness is not that forgiveness is a prior condition of being forgiven. That's not what Jesus is saying. But instead, Jesus is saying here that forgiveness is not, is not a one-way street. The forgiveness that we've received, the forgiveness that we've received from God through Jesus Christ has bestowed you and me with a tremendous responsibility, a responsibility to be like Jesus. And God calls us to forgive just as he has forgiven us. And if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, if you believe that he's the son of God, if you believe that he died on the cross for your sins and that he rose from the dead and that he's living today, and if you decide to follow him and make him the leader of your life, then the Bible tells you and tells me, tells us that you are saved, that you are a child of the almighty God. And as such, you have received an infinite amount of forgiveness. You've received grace, unmerited favor, a gift from God in which you don't deserve and which I don't deserve. So my, my concluding thought and question for you is this. Is the forgiveness that you give to others in proportion to the forgiveness you've received from God. Because that's what we're called to. If you are out of proportion, if the forgiveness you give or don't give to others is out of proportion to the forgiveness that you've received from God through Christ Jesus, then you are not walking in the way of love, as Paul says. Instead, let us be imitators of Jesus. When Paul says, just as, he's saying we need to be like Christ. We need to be like Jesus. We need to become people of forgiveness. We need to become people of forgiveness because we have been forgiven. Let's pray. Father, forgiveness is not easy. It is hard. But you call us to something greater, to something richer, to something deeper. You call us to live lives of forgiveness. And it doesn't eliminate the hurt. It doesn't eliminate the pain. It doesn't mean that there won't be scars. It doesn't mean that there won't be consequences or repercussions, but it does mean 
that we are giving others the same grace that you've given us. And in doing so, we are replacing the bitterness, the rage, the anger, the brawling, the slander, the malice. We are replacing that instead with kindness, a disposition of being concerned just as much as others as we are about ourselves, and then living acts of compassion sharing tangibly that kindness with others and thus paving the way for us to live lives where we can willfully and intentionally forgive those who have hurt us just as you've forgiven us. I pray this in your name. Amen.